As a leader, how do you convince people to follow a path they don't want to? I believe it's important as a leader to be honest. Honesty is key and truthfulness is key to guiding somebody to the right path. As a leader, being, being in the organization that I work for in the military, I believe that as a leader, honesty creates creates ambition. If you if you're honest with your personnel that need to accomplish a mission, you can motivate them. By telling them the truth, you motivate them. Not by telling them some something that they want to hear. It's easy it's easy to tell somebody what they want to hear to try to get them to complete a task. What's key what's key as a leader is you need to get that buy-in. You need to have them give their 110%, not just just enough to get by or enough to get the mission done. 110% is important. Yeah, they need to own it. They need to be a part of the team and understand the reasons for accomplishing something. Um, I, I can relate a lot of it to, to coming to church and to um, the guidance that's given by our pastors and by the Lord that um, you, know, it's, you don't always see the big picture. How do you motivate people to see the job through to the end even when they feel they can't? Where you got to know your people. It's important to know them on a level to where you got to know if you're the right key to motivate them or if it's another person that is the key to motivate them. Knowing them in that sense is, is to me is, is what a, a great leader is, is knowing how the right mechanism for that individual is to motivate them. Because what works for one, it doesn't work for the other. If you know what their strengths are, you can tie into how they can fit into that puzzle by utilizing their strengths. Because where they're strong, I may be weak. Where I'm strong, they may be weak. And that's how we work as a team and motivate each other to get through to the end. And, and I tend, when he was talking, I, it was the relationship. I pull a lot of the relationship because we have a unique relationship where we're both in. And I, I seen the side of him being deployed all the time. And then I seen the side where I was deployed, seeing the two sides of the coin. And being that solid rock for each other when the other one is down is so key in, in any relationship. But that has helped us in our relationship, is being able to, to have that strength to draw upon each other. But knowing that if we're not physically there for each other, that we have to motivate each other. I just did this recently, is that, hey, I know you're tired. I'm just as tired as you are. But we can't rely on our strength at this point. We have to rely on the Lord's strength. That's where we'll get our strength from, to get the job done. We may be tired. We may be just, just we just go home and fall into bed. But we get up every morning because we know that there are people still out there that need the help. And how I motivated him the other day. It's like, I know we're tired, but that's nothing compared to what everybody else is going, to, going through. Wow. I want to say especially thank you to Makanya and Rita Miller. Uh, they were helping in our community as the hurricane came through and then the relief efforts and they were there every single day and uh, our servicemen and women around the country, around the world, serving us so that we can live in freedom. Thank you.
for doing that this morning, you guys. We appreciate you. And we appreciate all you servicemen and women, the families, and those that serve in the military. You, we are so grateful. Uh, and for our veterans, uh, we would not be here in this great country if not for people like you. So thank you for serving. Uh, you know, we're in our series called Following the Ultimate Leader, and we're concluding today. And you know, when you follow someone, especially someone like Jesus Christ, there is a lot to learn. And uh, there, there is a, it's almost like a process that we go through so that we can become who He's making us to be. I do want to say thank you to our choir from New Hope, Oahu, that were here with us this morning. What a beautiful job reminding us, let's not go backwards. Let's continue to move forward. You know, when we have that heart to move forward and to serve Jesus Christ, there's nothing He cannot do through us. Many of you serve here. You volunteer. In fact, this past week, we were able to uh, take care of our courtyard tent. You know, when the hurricane came through, we wanted to make sure we were okay. So we took down the tent, but along with that, we were able to clean it and wash it. So we want to say thank you to the volunteers who were able to take it down, wash it, and then put it back up by this weekend. So thank the volunteers and all those who serve. It's not easy cleaning a 60 by 90 tent. You know, we have a small one that we go camping with, like a 2 by 2, or a 2 by 2, that's like... But uh, whatever, six by six. And uh, this one was uh, difficult to clean, but we want to say thank you to them. Also, our, our youth was with us this morning uh, doing worship. On the drums, we had Kahale and then uh, Marissa on the bass and then Kavai on the guitar. And Arnold, he's still one of the youth. So we wanted to say thank you to our youth for being with us this morning with our, our worship time. And you know what is, what is neat about that is, and I want to say this to our kupuna, the older generation, our seniors. So you, you, you figure out if you fit in that category. <laughs> That's up to you. But I want to say this to the generation that has gone before us, that without you loving God, giving to God with all your heart, serving Him, not just being here, but providing that foundation for this next generation to come in. Without you, it would be a very difficult task to do what the Bible says, which is to pass down to the next generation the wonderful things of God. You know, we could talk about it, but you show it. So to all of our kupuna who continue to serve, continue to give, continue to love God and love people, we want to say thank you to you. Because of you, we're able to have this place as well as raise up the next generation. Can we say thank you to our kupuna? You are so valuable in the kingdom of God, especially uh, at this church. You know, last week, Wednesday, for our Wednesday night, we call it Equip and Disciple. We're kicking off this week. And, and some of you were here on Wednesday. But if you was not here on Wednesday, you can go onto our New Hope app and check out what happened. And then you'll hear the vision on this new format that we're doing on Wednesday night. Some of you can't make it on Wednesday night. And so we're so sorry. But because of the format, we're not able to video it. And uh, put that on video right now. But uh, we're, we're breaking up into a couple different groups, three groups. And uh, you'll be able to follow along as the weeks go by. Uh, we should have a, an information uh, pamphlet either at the information center. I'm not sure if it's in your bulletins today. 
but it, it will show you the different sessions that we'll be having. And it's just a powerful way and a wonderful way to be equipped so that we can do the things God called us to do. And it's like another notch to learn, another step in being discipled. And that takes place every Wednesday night. So Wednesday nights are the same as far as uh, you know, dinner and, and things like that and worship time, but we break up into these groups and it's just a beautiful time for us to learn from Jesus in, in a different way. And so I hope you can pray and, and be here this Wednesday as we kick that off and that's coming up. Well, as we conclude this series following the ultimate leader, two things are going to happen at the end of this service, so I want to prepare you for it. One is we're going to be receiving our missions offering that we do whenever we have a month that has five Sundays in it, and this month, today is the fifth Sunday, uh, we receive a special offering for missions, and we have our missionaries around the world through Foursquare that spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and go into places that you and I never go to or probably aren't called to go and our missionaries go there and they spread the gospel. But this special offering, a portion of it is going to go to a missions trip that some of uh, people from our church are going to be taking to the Philippines bringing some backpacks and some school supplies to children who are in need and the typhoon that uh, came through, they're still rebuilding from that. And there's still people in need. So that's going to happen at the end of our service with this special missions offering. And, and some of you have that heart for missions. And if God speaks that to you, then by, by all means, go ahead and be a part of that. And if he says, no, you're not to be a part of it, listen to the Lord. It's an over and beyond giving. And it's an over and beyond gift. And we never want you to feel pressured to give, but to obey the Lord in doing so. And when he asks you to give, then you give. And then we'll also be receiving communion today. And some of you wonder what communion is about. I'll, I'll explain that towards the ending. But I wanted to prepare your hearts because communion is a, it's a, it's a holy moment between you and God. But we take together as family. And Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him. So we'll be doing that at the end of our service also. Uh, but right now as we, as we conclude our, our series, I, I love talking about following Jesus Christ. Especially following him to the cross. And that's what we're going to be talking about today if you take out your notes with me. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 27. And I'm going to read some scripture from there. And you have your notes and some scripture on your notes. But one of the things that I find with following the ultimate leader is that Jesus did some things that, that you and I can read about that they had to experience then. We can read about it. They didn't have a book to read. They watched Many people caught what Jesus was doing. Many people missed it. In fact, one of the biggest things people probably missed was what Jesus actually went through. We're going to find that Jesus went through probably one of the most brutalist of all betrayals of one of his disciples, a disciple named Judas, who betrayed Jesus only to get Jesus arrested. And then probably the quickest trial that you and I have ever seen that went to execution. I mean, we've seen many big trials in our history, but most recently, and, and probably one of the biggest ones, that actually changed reality TV and court TV was a trial. In fact, I'll, I'll say it this, this way. See if you can guess. It was in 1995 where a white Ford Bronco was being chased by police officers. Yeah, now you know who that is. What was that trial? Who was on trial? O.J. Simpson. 
And so that, that actually changed how we would view court on TV. The world was able to chime in to see that trial. Well, there was no media. There was no newspaper, no television, no internet covering the trial of Jesus Christ. And it was the quickest trial that has ever taken place, even in those days. That with just a quick listening of people and then making a decision, Jesus was crucified. The Bible tells us this in your notes, Isaiah chapter 53. It says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. You know, the Bible says that, yep, it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. And it can almost sound brutal. Like, why would God, why would God take pleasure in that? What the Bible is not saying is that God took pleasure in watching Christ suffer. God took pleasure in what Christ was able to accomplish, not what he went through. A great example of the foreshadowing of Jesus coming was a, was a story and a, a real-life story of a man by the name of Abraham and his son Isaac. If you know the story, Abraham was called by God to be the father of many nations. And Abraham didn't have children at that time. And God says, look at the stars. That's how many descendants you will have. Well, as time went on, he was given a child by the name of Isaac. And Isaac was supposed to be that child in which all the descendants would come. But God said, that is the, sac that is the son you are to sacrifice to me. And so Abraham is thinking, wait a minute, is that not the bloodline in which you're going to bring all my descendants? But Abraham obeyed the Lord. And so when Isaac was a teenager, he said, hey, Isaac, let's go up to the mountain. Let's go offer a sacrifice to God. So Isaac said, okay, carries the firewood. As they're going up and as they're getting there, now Isaac is kind of thinking, hey, uh, I have the firewood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says these words, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And so Isaac thinks, okay. Well, they get there and they set the fire, they set the altar, and then it's at that point that Abraham says, Isaac, you're going to be the sacrifice. Now, Isaac is of age. He could have actually run away. I mean, think about it. If you're a teenager and your dad says, hey, boy, we go hunting. Let's go and we're going to offer a sacrifice to God. Okay, let's go. You get there and the dad says, hey, sorry, we're going to have to sacrifice you. Now, as a teenager, first of all, you'd be like, dad, you is crazy. Or something went wrong in your brain. What do you mean I'm going to be the sacrifice? Yeah, um, God said to sacrifice you. You're my only son. I'm going to sacrifice you. I don't know about you, but I might have ran. Or I might have said, you know what, Dad? You're 100 years old. Abraham was old at that time, at that age. And I'm not saying that's old. But that's kind of up there. And so maybe Isaac would have said, how, how about this, Dad? I'm young. You've lived a long life. How about we sacrifice you? You know, it would almost seem logical. But they both obeyed God. And so Isaac got on the altar. And if you know the story, Abraham raised his hand with the knife. And just before he made that sacrifice, the angel of the Lord spoke and said, Okay, Abraham, we're good. You don't have to sacrifice your son. And then God provided a ram and they sacrificed that animal. I guarantee you, Abraham was relieved. 
But even more, Isaac was relieved. And it's a foreshadowing of what happened with Jesus Christ. You see, God the Father sent His one and only Son and said, Jesus, as my one and only Son, you're going to be the sacrifice for all the sins of the world. Jesus obeyed God and actually went through the entire sacrifice. He died on the cross for you and I. And in that, that one sacrifice paid the price for all of our sin, past, present, and future for the entire world. That's the ultimate leader that we follow. That's the kind of leader he was. All the way until death, Jesus said, I will obey you as the Father. As the one and only Son, he obeyed God. John 10, 17 and 18, it says that the Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. See, Jesus was willing to lay his life down for his Father. And you may not realize how much Jesus has done for you. Maybe from a lack of knowledge. Maybe because we're still learning. Or it could be from upbringing. We don't know everything about Jesus. Or, or it could be because maybe someone who believed in Jesus hurt you. And so it turned you away from the faith. It's amazing that you can talk about Jesus to people who may not know about him and you'll get different responses. Isn't that true? That some people you'll talk about Jesus and they'll be open to it. And then some people will say, oh, I don't believe in that. Or some people will say, oh, don't even, don't even, no, don't want to hear it. Been there, done that. I've spoken with people who they say they're the most tolerant people, but when it comes to Jesus, they're intolerant. People were intolerant to Jesus even when he was walking this earth. Even when he was going to the cross, people were intolerant of him. They didn't accept what he was doing. They couldn't understand the scope and the magnitude of what Jesus was doing. And many times we don't. We don't know exactly what Jesus is doing. But we trust in him. And usually it's because we don't know what's going on. We don't know the future. So it's hard for us to put all of our trust in Him. But when we do, we're putting our trust in He who knows the future. He knows everything. John 3.19, it says that this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. See, Jesus was betrayed, arrested, and then sent to Caiaphas, who was the high priest. And then he was sent to Pilate. The governor. Pilate, the governor, didn't want to have anything to do with it. He sends him to Herod, King Herod. King Herod views Jesus Christ, listens to his case, and says, what's wrong with him? Nothing's wrong. Why are you guys doing this to him? He's an innocent man. Send him back to Pilate. Pilate gets him back. Now Pilate's in a, he's in a, a tough situation. And Pilate doesn't know what to do now. But in Matthew chapter 27, and I'll read from verse 20, uh, excuse me, 17 and 18, and this is where he's having a difficult time. So now, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that they handed him over because of envy. Now Pilate is stuck. He's thinking, what do I do with Jesus? He's an innocent man. He knew he was innocent. But then he had this other prisoner named Barabbas. And because it was that Passover weekend, they could, they could actually release a prisoner, whomever the people wanted. 
The Passover was the feast that the Jews had because the angel of death, of death passed over their homes in Egypt. And so they celebrate the Passover. And so now Pilate is there saying, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? I, I know Jesus is innocent. So he says to the people, who do you want me to release to you? It's interesting who the people cry out to. And they cry out for Barabbas. They ask for Barabbas. But now he has to decide, okay, what am I going to do with Jesus? Matthew chapter 27, verse 22. Pilate said to them, well, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? I mean, he's innocent. And they all said to him, let him be crucified. And Pilate, the governor, says, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. Now, Pilate didn't really know anything about Jesus Christ. He was just one of those governors that they picked just to watch over that area that Rome picked. And so now he's here seeing all of this and he's thinking, I've been through many trials. Nothing like this. They want an innocent man killed. This is a just person. And so it is that all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So here's Pilate thinking, hey, if I can just scourge him, maybe it'll satisfy the people. But they're not satisfied. They want Jesus crucified. When we read the word scourged, we can just pass over it. But it was a horrific act. They would take the prisoner or the, the criminal or the person that was due for execution or, or the scourging. And they would tie him up on this post, his hands and, and, and tied up and his body taut, tight so that when the whipping came, it would be that much more painful. The scourging took place with a, a, a thing that they call the cat of nine tails, a, a small handle with leather whips attached to it, with at the end of it, bone and metal. And they did it in such a way that it would tear the flesh open. And I'm sorry I'm being graphic, but it would actually open up the flesh so you could actually see the organs, spine, and the inside of a man. That it was so horrific. Historians say that when they would watch it, people would actually faint. Because it was that graphic. You could actually see bone, spine, and a lot of their veins. Their veins would swell because of the, the pain that they would be going through. And so Jesus went through all of this before he was crucified on the cross. And Pilate thought, well, this should be enough for the people to be pleased. But they weren't. They wanted Jesus dead. Isaiah 52 actually talks about what happened with Jesus long before it took place. In verse 14, Isaiah 52, But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. Can you even imagine that? And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. Well, let's continue with what was going on with Pilate. John 19, verses 9 through 11. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. 
Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. You know what Jesus was saying? The greater sin is to know what to do that is right and not do it. What Jesus was saying is knowledge brings responsibility. And Pilate didn't even know what was happening. And so Jesus told him, you know the, the one who has handed me over to you? That's the one with the greater sin. Now we don't know if Jesus was talking about Caiaphas, the high priest, which the high priest was supposedly a man of God who knew the ways of God, knew that the Messiah were to come, but still didn't recognize Jesus as the Savior, the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one. Or it could have been Judas Iscariot who handed Jesus over, the one that betrayed Jesus Christ. We don't know. All we know is that Jesus says, He who has handed me over to you has a greater sin. When we know something to do that is right and we don't do it, that's where we're accountable. And Jesus came and paid the high price because most of the times, you and I will choose to do what is wrong when we know what to do that is right. And he said, I came to the cross to show you the way so that you would know what direction to take. It continues in verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, which was probably around 600 soldiers. They gathered around him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And then they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Now Jesus is crucified. The 600 soldiers that surrounded him, that beat him and struck him in the face, imagine. I mean, if you've never gotten punched before, I did. I got into some fights before and some of you have. It's shocking. It's painful. But Jesus, when he was struck, he, he could have done two things, which probably we, we, we do two things. Either we, we, we turn away, we recoil, we, we move back, or we strike back. D Jesus did neither. He stood there with authority. He wasn't scared. Jesus was absolutely not weak. But it was at that moment that Jesus was humble. He wasn't weak. He was humble. He was meek. Meek is not weak. It's, been it's being able to constrain your power. 
That's what meekness is. Jesus constrained his power. Remember when he was arrested, if you know the story, when he was arrested, Peter slashed the ear off the servant of the high priest. And when Peter did that, Jesus said, put away your sword. Don't you know that I can call down upon these people, angels? Jesus had the power to strike back, but he didn't. He stayed humble. And when he was arrested, they asked, looking for Jesus. And he said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And remember what Jesus said? He said these words, I am he. Those two words, I am. You know where where that came from? It came from Moses and the burning bush. Remember Moses said to God, after God spoke to him about the Ten Commandments, he says, okay, God, what am I going to say to the people that when they ask me who sent you, God said, I am. You know what that means? Existed. Always existed. That he was always here. And when Jesus speaks these words to these soldiers, he says, I am he. They all fall back. The Bible says that. He has so much power just within his voice of saying who he is that it carries so much authority. I am the healer. I can. I am the one that will give you the strength to endure. I am the one that will bring you from death to life. I am the one that will help you in your marriage. I am the one that will help you with your finances. I am the one that will protect you. I am the one who calls you out of darkness into light. I am the one who will guard over you. I am the one who will heal you. That's who Jesus is. He says, I am. They fall back. That's who he is. He could have said, I am. You were. Poof, you're gone. He had all the power to do so. But he said, I am. As he's carrying the cross, this man, Simon, picks up the cross to help Jesus. This man was a traveler. His name was Simon from Cyrene. And he picks up the cross and he's a traveler and he doesn't know what's going on. But we later find out that this man actually came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and his entire family. It took but a moment for Jesus to change this man's life. We don't know what what happened when he picked up the cross of Christ. Something happened. Something happened when he met Jesus. He didn't plan on meeting Jesus. He didn't plan on, on having a different future. He was just traveling and then he came in contact with Jesus Christ. And maybe he made eye contact, maybe with, with what Jesus looked like and what he was doing made sense to Simon that, wait a minute, you, you don't even deserve this, but, but I'm, I'm catching that you're doing this because that you, you're, you're called by the Father in heaven. I, I don't catch everything, but I do know this. Boy, do you love people. And you're sacrificing your life for people who are evil and people who are sinning, people who are sending you to the cross. Simon caught that this was a man to follow. And he picked up his cross. And he bared Christ's cross. You may not know Jesus, but I know you know sin. We know sin well. Jesus became sin so that we would know him. And he took care of our sin, paid for it on the cross, made that final sacrifice for sin, and he put sin to death. And I thought, where were his disciples at that time? Why wouldn't they carry his cross? Where were they? Didn't they vow not to leave him? But they weren't there. Verse 33. They all had come to a place called Golgotha. 
to say place of skull. This place where Jesus was crucified, all could see. All could see what was happening. Crucifixion wasn't something that the Romans invented. In fact, the Persians invented crucifixion, thinking that the ground was so sacred and, and they didn't want to defile the land, they would put people on these crosses. You could say that, yeah, the Persians invented crucifixion, but the Romans perfected it. And now Jesus is hanging on the cross. It was the most miserable way to die. They could actually nail someone to the cross in such a way that they would know how long they're going to survive on the cross. And when they nailed them to the cross, the worst of criminals, they would nail them for humiliation and suffering. Death by crucifixion actually meant death by suffocation. It was that torturing. But why did Jesus have to die in such a horrific way? You know, one of the reasons is actually Bible prophecy. In Psalm 22, verses 1 and 16, it says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus actually quotes this psalm while on the cross. Why are you so far away when I groan for help? My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. Then he says this, They have pierced my hands and feet. That's the prophetic word. A thousand years before they even came close to crucifixion. But why did Jesus have to die at all? Wasn't there another way? I mean, why did he have to die? Nothing else could satisfy the righteous demands of God. God plays by his own rules. Then he says this in Ezekiel 18.20, The one who sins is the one who will die. He goes by his own words. Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness. See, if you read the entire Old Testament right now, we're in, we're in the book of Ezekiel, if you're reading your devotions with us, if you read through the entire Old Testament, it will always point to Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. And it lets us know not what is to come, but who is to come. That final sacrifice. Many of us follow Jesus to the cross. We die there with Him, but forget about following Him all the way to the resurrection. That's what, that's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. With every death you and I will ever experience, we can only go as far as the grave. When we visit people that have died, we visit them at their grave. That's as far as we can go. Jesus is the only one we can go to the grave as well as the resurrection to. It's the only person. He had the power to die. He laid down his life voluntarily. He had the power and authority to do so. But he also had the power and authority to bring himself back to life. See, the cross of Christ shows us how far we will go to sin. But it also shows how far God will go for sinners' salvation. The resurrection shows how far God will go for a brand new life for you and I. Romans 8.32 tells us, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? See, the cross of Christ, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't a turn of bad events. It wasn't a, it wasn't a oh, it happened, so now God has to think of plan B. The cross was always God's plan A. So what was its purpose? 
How could any good come out of the cross? Romans 3.25 says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. The most evil act, the killing of God's Son, brought about the greatest good. The most evil of people, you and I included, can receive eternal life through salvation because of what Jesus has done for us. Salvation, hope, a brand new future, a better tomorrow, a better day, joy in the morning, a future and a hope. That's what Jesus brings. But we got to remember who he is. Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Now we may read that and say, what does that mean to take up our cross? Oh, maybe taking up my cross means when my wife gives me a hard time, I can say, oh, that's my cross. I got to bear my cross. I just got to deal with her. Or when your husband acts up, ah, oh, that's my cross. I got to bear my cross. I just got to deal with him. That's not what the Bible is talking about. We got to remember in, which the, in, in, in the context in which this was being stated. Anytime in those days you saw the cross, it's not like today. Now I remember buying a cross so that I would have God's protection and then God would recognize me if he were to come back. That's what I thought the cross represented. I thought the cross would be, and then I, you know, I believed in ghosts and you know, things like that and spooky things. So if I was scared, I would just hold the cross. I didn't know what it represented. But you know what the cross represented and what Jesus was saying? Anytime you saw the cross in those days, it represented death. Not hope. It represented death. What Jesus was saying is, when you carry your own cross, basically what he's saying is, when you die to self, that's how you're going to live. If you want to follow me, you have to die to self. You have to die to self so that someone else can live. you got to die to self when you want to be right so that um, someone else can thrive and be encouraged. you got to die to self so that others can be okay. you got to die to self so your marriage can thrive you got to die to self so your children can survive in this world so that they can come to know God as Lord and Savior. you got to die to self so that we can give to God financially. you got to die to self so that we can become everything God made us to be. It's a dying of self that is required to follow Jesus Christ. You cannot follow Jesus to the cross visually watching Him and spiritually without dying to self. There must be a dying to self that happens. And then he says these words. For whoever wishes to save his life in Mark 8.35 will lose it. If you're trying to save your life, you will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus is saying dying to self means you're putting God's plans above your own. And Jesus died so that we could be made right with God. And if you ever doubt God's love for you, follow Jesus to the cross. But don't stop there. Follow him to the resurrection. And then you will see how much God loves you and I, that he has a wonderful plan for us, that we will no longer say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can say, my God, my God, thank you for saving 
me. You say amen to that? We're going to pray for our time with communion. As well as as we give this gift to God for missionaries around the world and, and this special missions trip next year. It's a part of following the ultimate leader. Communion is where Jesus said that every time you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. He said, when you take the bread, this is my body which has been broken for you. And we already know how his body was broken. He said, don't forget about me. Don't forget about what I've done for you. He loves you that much that he laid his life down voluntarily. Oh, someone like me, but you don't know my past. You don't know my, my life. You don't know. You're right. I don't know. You don't even know your life in the future. But Jesus does. And he loved you anyway. He loves us even in our brokenness and with all of our flaws, all of our mistakes and all of our sin, all of our baggage, all the things we've done wrong. He says, I love you all the way to the grave. And if you ever doubt that, just look to the cross and you'll say, I love you this much. My body has been broken for you. After supper, when he was with his disciples, he took the cup and he said, this, this cup re represents my blood that has been shed for you. It's the new covenant written in my blood. Every time you drink of the cup, remember me. That my blood, my pure blood has been shed for you. So that you could be pure in God's sight. So when we take of the communion elements, we take the bread first and then you can drink of the cup. You can do it together as a family, as a couple, as a married couple. And then you'll be dismissed right after that. And then you have a bin that you can uh, put your opala in and your, your cup. And then you go about your day. But we don't just check in and out. As we walk out these doors, you walk out with the Son of God, His Spirit. He'll never leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He does not abandon us. He calls us his children. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we get to spend together as we conclude this series on following the ultimate leader. You are the very best leader. You gave yourself as an example. You didn't tell us what to do. You showed us what to do. You showed us how to die to self. You took it upon yourself to die for our sins, but you rose again from the grave so that you could show us that there is a brand new life in you. And so, Lord, we pray during this time that as we receive communion, that we would examine our life, examine our hearts, that if there's anything inside that is not of you, that we ask that you would cleanse us, that you would refill us, change us. It's almost like another notch up this morning that we would become better, more and more the person you made us to be. Help us to become the future you planned for us. We ask for forgiveness of our sins. Cleanse us. Make us brand new. We also pray over this special offering that if you have spoken this to our hearts, that we would be obedient to you. We pray for our missionaries around the world, even right now, that they're in harm's way, they're, they're hiding, some are in prison. We pray for your protection, your guidance, your strength, and the faith 
of a mustard seed that is able to remove mountains. We ask for this gift that is given to you to be multiplied to further your kingdom to the farthest corners of this earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Lord, I know that there are some here this morning that maybe you're here and you're saying, I don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, I don't know what you're waiting for. Today is that day. Today is the day of salvation. And if you want to say yes to Jesus, could you just lift a hand today and I'll pray with you. You're just saying, I, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord. Good. I see you in the back. God sees your hand right here. God sees you. God sees you right here. God bless you. God sees your hand. Everybody's head bound and eyes closed. God sees you right here. God sees you. Yeah. God sees your hand. He knows your heart. He sees everything, every prayer that you pray. God sees you back there. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Let's, let's pray this prayer together, especially for those who are saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Wash me clean. Make me brand new. I believe in you. I look forward to this brand new future. I will follow you as my ultimate leader. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said, Amen. Amen.